Welcome everyone to the Snap Fitness Maitland podcast. I hope you're having a great day. I'm Cameron Russell, the owner of Snap Maitland. On today's podcast, episode number 20, we speak to Barton McGuckin. Barton is an author of things he's learnt every week. It's an awesome little read. He also shares his stuff on social media. Uh, but he's also a health, fitness, and lifestyle coach. Uh, he's owned businesses, gyms in the past, but now lives the ultimate simplified lifestyle. And we get into all those details and how you can simplify your life to be healthier, happier, and even fitter. If you enjoy the episode of this podcast, please share it with your friends, take a screenshot, hit us up on Facebook or Instagram, and even if you could rate and review it, that would be greatly appreciated. Let's dive right in. Three, two, one, we're live. Button. Barton McGuckin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Cam, you bloody legend. How are you today, buddy? Mate, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, probably day number 37, 38 in ISO. Um, so, yeah, mate, just not doing much at all, really. No surf today, spewing. You're counting the days. You're ahead of me. Well done. Oh, I just know. I, I counted, yeah, it was day 31 when I went a bit stir-crazy, so I kind of know from then now. Have you given yourself a, uh, a budget? Where's the, uh, where's the threshold? Well, it's... I don't know. I mentally told myself if the gyms are closed for uh, six months, I'll be okay with that. But um, just being purely isolated, living by myself, uh, it's getting a little bit tedious at the moment. But I'm going to go home to mum and dad's because we're allowed, now allowed to see family um, end of this week. So that'd be good. That'll break it up, mate. That'll give me an extra couple of weeks. Give you a little fix of people. Yeah, mate, yeah. In but, reality, mate. That's it. That's it. Button, you're... Uh, I suppose a serial traveler, I would say. Uh, obviously, big in the uh, fitness industry, health and wellness is your your passion, your background. We'll get into that. But where in the world are you right now? I'm in Briz, Vegas, Australia, right at the moment. Obviously, with this current episode with COVID and what is going on, I was uh, forced my hand to come back home. Have been living in Bali for the last three or four years, but decided to come back here during this uh, this time and hang out with my wife and my mum. Yeah, nice. So let's touch on that because uh, obviously we'll probably work backwards here. So you've been in Bali for the last couple of years. Um, for me, on the outside, it looks like the ultimate lifestyle. I know you kind of live over there for three months and then you'll come back here to Oz for maybe three months or you'll go somewhere else for three months and back to Bali. What inspired you to kind of pack up everything and go and do that with your wife? And it kind of started back in uh, in my Snap days with the original Snap Fitness Epping. Uh, moved to Melbourne to work in the gym, just totally entrenched myself in business as I'd done as a PT for you know, 14, 15 years previous. Yeah, so do you want to maybe start back there? Let's, let's go back right yeah. back and then. So you jumped in the fitness industry. In 2003, I did my PT certificate before it was the cool thing to do. Jumped on a plane, went overseas, spent six months uh, doing some travel then, and then came back and started work at the end of 2004. Worked at uh, Good Life for 10 or 12 years. Migrated into the gym ownership scene, like yourself. Got involved, bought some gyms in the state, and then uh, made the big decision to get out of my comfort zone, which I was very comfortable, making some good money and training lots of people here in Brisbane, moved in a state, um, and then just realized that, can I swear here? Yeah, 
fuck, I've overcooked it. Um, just <laughs> got stressed, got tired, just burnt the candle at both ends for too long. And then uh, my wife and I, or my wife now and I at the time nearly separated and then just decided, hey, is this what we wanted to really do? Or do we, like, we, we, we could have made some more money and stayed in business, but we were probably going to separate. And we just decided the opportunity cost was too much. And we decided to, you know, live the life that we wanted to live, not necessarily what society wants, not necessarily what my mum wants, but what, uh, what we want to do. So we made the hard decisions. We sold, decided to gradually sell things up, uh, businesses, houses, cars, clothes, furniture, you name it, and then uh, go to a chase the never-ending summer. Because that's, I mean, obviously we met, you owned a couple of snap gyms um, and that's where we met and we've been mates for a long time. Yeah. But that, you know, you kind of had, you know, a couple of businesses, you know, two or three gyms and then you've, how was that process on that thought process to kind of downsize and and what I love is how you simplified your life because I think a lot of people want to simplify a lot of things in their life. Uh, It's so busy, so... Um, all over the place, uh, people you know are doing too much. That you know, you ask them. I know you don't like this word, and I don't like this word. Busy all the time. Um, how is that process to really simplify your life, and you know, really like obviously sell the businesses, sell the cars, you know, uh, pack up and and do the bare basics. Now, looking back in hindsight, it, like this sounds really weird, but it, it was actually really challenging. Um, and it's definitely a process. Like I think the word you use there is process. It's not a, hey, click my fingers and this is what happens. Like it definitely happens over time. And I think sometimes you have to hit rock bottom to realize what you really want. Um, and then just over time, like I think we surrounded ourselves with some really good people who were doing the same thing. We broke out of our environment. So that was one of the biggest things. When you're stuck in the same environment, like you see the same things. So we, you know, we did some travel, and then we saw, hey, all these other people—they're living a different life. Uh, we went to what I call third-world countries or lower-class countries, and you see people who've got less, but they smile more. And I was like, you know, what, what is there to this? Um, so then I think I like to make a decision and then kind of commit to that decision. So it's 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 all in or all out. Like there's it's a hell yeah or it's a no. There's no in betweens. So I think once you make that decision, then you can gradually move along. And then along that process, different things become, you know, needs versus wants. So it's a big thing my wife and I spoke about, you know, is this a need or a want, you know, whether it's clothes or pans or cars or houses or whatever. And then uh, we, the first thing was just bringing our expenses right down. You, you, you spend less, you have to make less. And, yeah, you're right. I really dislike that word busy, but it's, uh, it's a common one in society. Yeah, it is. I mean, because it's, you know, you, generally people will catch up and, you know, how have you been? Yeah, busy. busy. You know, it's just, it, it's an easy way and it's a quick way to, to answer a question and it's actually, you know, who's busy versus, you know, am I busy? Is my life busy versus your life busy? Um, you know, it's it's a funny one. But let's not get too caught up on, on busyness because everyone's busy, right? Um, so simplifying your life, obviously, um you know, obviously you said, you mentioned selling businesses, you know, what's needs versus wants or essentials versus, you know, desires. You know, people want, you know, flash cars or, you know, motorbikes and things like that. 
Uh, it's been interesting over this period of time of COVID. Like, you know, obviously the gym's been closed. I've had to simplify my life uh, with no income coming in. Uh, and it's actually quite enjoyable to saying, do I actually really need this? Or, you know, can I just live off this? You know, and, it, and it's very, very, it shows you how simple you can make things happen if you want to do it. And you just look at them and, and kind of tick them off as you go along. It's interesting you say that. I had uh, I had a buddy message me the other day and he said, it's kind of like the whole world's come back to your level in terms of the speed that, that my wife and I live. Yeah. That really actually resonated with me. I was like, it's true. Like, I've seen so many people who, exactly like you said there, they're like, I actually enjoy having a little bit less pressure and less stress and less time commitments and I don't have to go and do this, that and the other. And I guess that's kind of what we've modeled our life on. So, you know, this whole COVID thing, with a bit of tongue-in-cheek, you know, I say, you know, I've, I've kind of been preparing for this for 15 years. Like, this is this is normal now. Uh, and I think it's an opportunity for people to create a new normal. Uh, and the hard part is, I think, bucking the societal trends or the pressures. Like, that was probably one of the biggest things for me initially is, you know, what, what do people think? What will people think? Um and I think we can get caught in that in trying to please other people as opposed to pleasing ourselves. Yeah, and I think it's a good point. I want to touch on that because I remember when you you're selling up and it's like, you know, what are you going to do? And it's like, man, I'm going to I'm going to live this lifestyle. It's obviously straight, like obviously the exact opposite to to social trends or what you should or shouldn't do and and be seen. You know, you probably should sell that business and maybe invest in another one or or do something else. Invest wisely. You're like, no, nah, I'm just going to live overseas. Going to try three months in Thailand. Going to come back. You know, three months in in Bali, see where we like best, and then kind of settle on that one. And you know, I, I remember me, uh, reaching out to you and said, "Mate, that, that's like a, a dream lifestyle uh, for me is to kind of really simplify things and and live that happy lifestyle." Because you do when you do travel third world countries, you see the kids, you know, they're playing in the dirt or they're playing with a a, a flat soccer ball or you know they're playing on a broken bike, uh, but they're just super happy. And it's like, wow, people have so much back at home you know, in Australia and, and they're not as grateful as what these little kids are. And I think the word you use there is, is grateful and that's probably something that has definitely I've become a lot more apparent of and it's probably been a big part is being grateful and showing gratitude. Um, you know, what does the word journaling mean? My wife hates it. I like it. I journal it all, almost every day. Um, but a big part of that is, you know, what are you grateful for? And I think living in the world we live in, we have to realize that, you know, we are pretty privileged. You know, even in this current times, and we speak about it now, hey, we, we call it isolation, but it's not really isolation, is it? Like, if you were isolated in a plague 100 years ago, you didn't have Instagram or social media or Zoom or Skype or anything like that. Like, you were truly isolated. Whereas now, you know, I think we've just set our standards so high that, this is kind of making us a little bit more resilient. It's just bringing us back to, you know, I like the word anti-fragile and resiliency. I think it's about training ourselves to be able to handle some tough situations. Yeah, it is. I mean, you've got to be, you know, I have to be grateful in the situation that I'm at, right? You know, the gyms are closed, but I live in Newcastle and, you know, I can still surf. I can still, you know, I've got, I live in a great spot. I'm still happy. Uh, I can still put food on the table um you know so it's it's easily to get out of context too why why does your wife not like the word grateful uh it's not grateful it's journaling i don't know she's just oh, got a negative yeah. kind of journaling no she, she's definitely grateful 
Um, but just the word journaling. So if we put it in a, if we call it something else, it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Matt, and you've got a, um, every week you, you bring out with, is it five or seven things? Um, seven and bonus. Yeah. So you, you, you put down things you've learned this week. Tell, tell us about that and, and what is that? Cause I remember seeing, I think it was the first one and, and week number two, um, things you've learned, and then I was like, "Oh, I wonder how long this will go on for." <laughs> uh, yeah, well, just to put it in a little bit of context, this is week two hundred and twenty-six. I just had a look this morning that I've just gone past, uh, so just over four years. Uh, and the backstory is that it was actually our first three-month trip to Thailand. So we just sold the first gym. We said we're going to go to Thailand for three months. Uh, we were sitting in a restaurant. I dropped some carrot on the ground, and I came to one of what I call one of those fork in the road moments. Like, do I pick it up and eat it, or do I just let it go to waste? You know, what what's my wife going to think? What's the table next door going to think? Um, did, you and count, I, did you count down from ten seconds? Yeah, ten. I got ten. I got ten seconds to do it. Uh, anyway, I picked it up and ate it because I don't want to let the carrot go to waste. But we kind of just started a conversation, um, and I. It was just somehow came up in the conversation and said, you know, well, you learn something new every day. It's kind of like that old phrase. And then um, my wife just kind of sent me a challenge. She said, well, if you do learn something new, like, why don't you write it down and share it? Um, and that, that's how it all started. So essentially, since then, that's how the number seven came up, learn something new every day. Um, and I just set a, a precedent of each Sunday. I'll, I'll put a post up on social media with seven things that I've learned that week. Uh, hopefully things that can resonate with others, hopefully things that can inspire others, hopefully things that can motivate others, but probably more so, and I think with a lot of industries, it's, it's a bit selfish on my part. It, it inspires and motivates myself, uh, and it also gives me a purpose and a timeline. And then I think the last thing there is that, as you can see, there's, there's kind of something to my personality where I like to get on streets. So like you said, hey, how long will this go on? Well, I'm 216 or 226 weeks in now. I'm probably not going to stop because that means I've got to start again. Um, you know, I have a similar streak with hot chips. I, lo- I love this one because I remember, I think it was probably the second or third time we met at a conference and obviously there was food coming out and we're having a beer. Yeah. Um, and there's like hot chips there and my, my nemesis is hot chips. You know, I love them. It's like if something I couldn't really give up and yeah, I'd struggle with. But what's, what's your hot chip one? Well, it's funny, hot chips were my nemesis for a while there too. So 2003, uh, New Year's Eve, I was sitting on a on a deck at Stratty with a mate of mine and, uh, you know, you set some New Year's resolutions. We were eating fish and chips and I just said, I'm not going to eat a hot chip for the next year. And uh, the response was, yeah, right, I no chance. And you can see, okay, I like to get on a streak. I'm pretty stubborn. So New Year's Eve 2003, that was the last time I had a hot chip. And it's now 2020. So that's, what's that, 17 years? Is it? Uh, yeah, 16. We'll go 17 at the end of this year, yeah. Wow. It's impressive. It's impressive. Mate, so you're, obviously you're big in the health and wellness uh, arena, obviously owning gyms, running, you know, or being a PT before it was cool and then, uh, running, you know, different boot camps, solar businesses. Now you're kind of targeting more kind of the upper echelon uh, or working with people, the average Joe Blows, but more the executives and things like that. So talk us about how, you know, Barton's lifestyle, 
with his work-life balance looks now? Uh, my work-life balance is, and I, this is something that I've tried to really create. I think in a business sense is we have to create the business based around what the client needs and what the client wants and what the client's challenges are. But I think you also have to base the business around what, you, how you can be the best for them. So, for example, you know, if I'm going to train 100 people, then I'm probably not going to be happy. I'm going to get burnt out and I'm going to provide a subpar service. So I've designed it around, okay, I only want to train a certain amount of people, which is not that many. I want to go pretty deep with them. So I want to be really, you know, in their, in their grid, in their grill, for example. You know, and I want to go deep with them. And whether that's face-to-face, whether that's online, whatever the communication stream that works, whether they come and stay with us in Bali, whether we go and live with them, that's not really, you know, that will change. But it's got to suit both individuals. So for me, you know, I want to work. I love doing what I do, but I don't want to work too much where I feel burnt out and I don't enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. So, so the business, your your business, you've got obviously a couple of things going. You've got your... Well, you you freebie, which is your your five lessons you've learned, and then you've turned that into a book, um, mm-hmm. number one bestseller, New York Times. Not yet, maybe <laughs> maybe soon. Um, and then you've got your retreats. You run retreats. You and your wife run retreats in Bali, so they're like a health and wellness. Yeah, totally. Uh, health wellness training retreats. So we do do a week there. People come over. Um, they train. They eat well. They live a really simple life. And we do a lot of personal development. So we kind of, we think that the life we live is good for us. We're not saying it's perfect for everyone, but we think there's a lot of things that we do that we can positively impact others. And if we can create that environment for you for a week, you can make some pretty big changes. And and we try and cater that to the rest of our training or the rest of our business is that, hey, I want to create this positive environment where I'm in your top five, you know, top five being the top five people you spend the most time with. So you're going to hear from me nearly every day, whether it be an SMS, whether it be a voicemail, whether it be a phone call, whether it be a video, whatever, because if you're constantly around my positivity and going down the same path around health and fitness, then you're more likely to adhere and you're more likely to get results. Super interesting. I mean, it's, it's so true. People want accountability. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a CEO, you're an executive, you're, you know, it doesn't matter who they want. You know, that's why people have personal trainers. They, they need that accountability to, to help them get to wherever they want to go to. And I, I honestly sometimes think I'm just an accountability coach. I shouldn't say just, but that's one of the biggest things I do. Um, I get people to do what they say they're going to do. Yeah. Talk, yeah. You know, talk is cheap. Uh I'm, I'm pretty black and white. <laughs> I don't kind of like the gray areas in the middle. Like if you say you're going to do something and you give me permission, I'll hold you to it. Yeah. Um, like don't fluff around in the middle because if you want to get there, I'll get you there, but be willing to do the work along the way. Yeah. And there's uh, the another bow to the, to the business is the, um, the live, live in, the live in or... or... Yeah, so I've never heard this before and I think it's a great thing that so many people could take out of it and it's a couple of days to a week that you go to you know, a family's home or someone's home and live with them. 100%. Yeah, it's so cool. Uh, yeah, from a couple of days to a week, depending on the individual, depends how it all fits in with their life, etc. 
either my wife or myself or both of us together will go in and we just we're all encompassing we're your trainer we're your coach we're your chef we're your cleaner we you know we do everything uh for some people it depends what they want to get out of it you know for some people it's about learning and educating about training and nutrition for some people they just want to have someone do stuff for them for a week and be in a positive environment but it's, it's mainly around that training and nutrition aspect um and then just setting up goals for the future or setting up processes and systems like i'm i'm really big on i think it's, it's easy to have a goal like a millionaire and a broke person both probably have the same goal but they have different systems so i think the systems you implement are more important than just having that outcome yeah, I think it's so true, you know, because everyone, everyone has goals, but the ones who go after their goals obviously do something differently. And, and what do you what do you think is, is the big difference there? And I... uh, it probably, I think, comes back to the accountability we spoke about before. Uh, another one I find is that, you know, if you don't write it down, then it's probably not going to happen. If you don't uh, reevaluate regularly, probably not going to happen and if you don't surround yourself with an environment that is conducive to you achieving that it's probably not going to happen so you know write it down put yourself in the environment and then just uh, be willing to make changes like what are you willing to change to get to that position because if if you didn't have to change anything you'd already be there yeah and you have the saying of is it one life one chance I'm off one chance, yes. O-L-O-C, O-Lock. 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 Uh, you think about it, it's so true, right? You do have one life and you only have one chance at, you know, a lot of things uh, in life. So you may as well make the most of it. And and I, I go back to your experience with owning businesses, being stressed out, burnt out, burn the candle at both ends, uh, to then simplifying your life going, you know, I've got one shot at this, why do I need to do this? Because... You know, social status says, you know, I should have one biz, uh, one gym and then two gyms and three gyms. Why don't I just simplify my life, uproot, move to Bali, be happy, live a simple life, eat really good food, train well, um, and, you know, help other people along the way. Hey, that's me in a nutshell. You've got a down path. I should write, <laughs> I should write the bio for the book. And I, I did steal the, the OLOC, but to be honest, that was, um, you know, Luke and Elisa are some good friends of ours that, we kind of got that mantra from they kind of kick-started our journey. We'd met them in Thailand originally. They were doing six months travel, six months work, and that kind of kick-started us. And I guess the, the thing for me, and I don't want to sound too morbid, but, you know, death is inevitable. Um, and I think it's a matter of what do we do in those 30, 40, 50, 60, however many years in between because I don't want to be that guy that's got regrets at the end. Yeah, and I want to look at that because I think it right now is very uh, interesting because we put out a survey to a lot of the members, well, to, to the members, and we asked them, you know, what's your goal in regards to your health and fitness right now during COVID? And literally ninety of them, ninety percent of them came back and said, you know, my my goal is just maintenance. Maintenance is is the phase that I'm in right now for how long this will go into. And I know you've been working with some clients. Uh, you're doing, you know, just 30 days, one month at a time, uh, and you're focusing on different things, right? You, you're in their grill, you're, you're keeping them accountable to what they want to do. Um, but let's look at that that kind of philosophy of, you know, taking someone from where they want to be to then getting them to that next phase 
uh, of where they want to go to. Uh, but also looking at the systems and things like that that happen, right? Why people kind of fail is because they've got their binge cycles. You know, they go to the gym four days a week in the first time uh, or their first week and then they kind of slowly drop off. Yeah, mate, totally. Like I, I kind of look at it like a binge restrict or it's an all or nothing mentality. Um, so people get stuck in that they're on and they're off. You know, I'll start Monday and on Monday I'm on and then come some people Tuesday they're off or whether it's Friday they're off or they'll be on for a week. And, you know, you mentioned the word phases there before and that's something that I've incorporated a lot over the last few years. I've kind of stolen it from, I guess, a sports perspective and like a periodization. It's like you, know, you can't do everything at once. You need to periodize what phase you're in. So if you're talking purely body composition, you know, I generally have three phases. Either you're in a fat loss phase, you're in a maintenance phase, or you're in a fat gain phase. You know, it's like what phase do you want to be in and then establish what are the prerequisite of each phase. So if it's a fat loss phase, okay, cool, maybe I'm only eating a certain amount of chocolate. If it's a maintenance phase, well, I can have a little bit more chocolate. And if it's a gain phase, well, I'm eating even more chocolate. And I think if you ascertain what phase you're in, then you can work out what the prerequisites are. When you talk about that binge and restrict there, I think people get in that if I'm in a fat loss phase, I have to restrict and I can't have anything, which I don't think is true. You know, I used to be of that mentality and it's something that my wife and I have really changed recently where nothing is out of bounds. You know, you can be in a fat loss phase and still have some chocolate. You can still have some beers. You can still have some pizza. But then it comes down to the quantity. You know, you can't eat a whole pizza and a whole block of chocolate and be in a fat loss phase. They don't really marry up. And I think giving giving people that permission to have a small amount of something is a really big part and something that I've found a lot recently where if you plan to have, you know, a little Freddo frog, that's probably all right. But if you go and buy a block of chocolate, what are the chances that you're probably just going to have one little square? You know, even simple things of how do you buy it, if you buy a small portion, then you're going to eat less. If you buy a whole whole block and you can't control yourself, well, you're going to eat more. You know, for me, I love um, chocolate paddle pops, but I buy them individually, not in a box, because if I buy a box, I'll eat more than one. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, if chocolate paddle pops came in a tub, then I'm probably going to eat more than just what would be on a stick. How, how do you coach around that, like getting people to, one, identify, two, try to eliminate, let's say, that binge or that, that cycle, and then three, to progress through to that next phase? You know, it could be like yourself with Paddle Pops or it could be like me with Hot Chips or it could be, you know, depending on, or having someone recognize that, okay, cool, I'm in this fat loss phase you know, I'm not allowed to have, you know, that block of chocolate. But once I get to a maintenance, I can have a roll of chocolate. Yeah, I like to get really, uh, I like to make, let the person make decisions. So, you know, I say my job is not to tell you what to do. I'm just here to help you find the way to do it. Now, most people know the right answers. So a question I'll often ask is, is it that you don't know what to do? Or is it that you're just not doing what you should be doing? And if you don't know what to do, well, that comes down to education. Yeah? Cool? Then the other thing is data. So data's king. Data in your head is useless. Data, like, 
yeah, everyone says they eat really well, but that means nothing. So the first thing is, you know, if we're talking food, if we're talking exercise, let's actually write down exactly what we're doing. If we're talking sleep, we're talking stress, let's write down and be specific. Let's take photos of our food so we can see what we're doing. Therefore, we can see the damage that's actually happening. Then we want to get buy-in. So, for example, you know, if it's hot chips, Cam, with you, I'd say, okay, cool. Cam, how many, how many times do you want to have hot chips this week so that mentally it's going to stimulate you, but physically you're still going to be in either a fat loss phase, a maintenance phase, or a gain phase? I could do one. Once okay, a week. cool. So if you can do once a week hot chips and you're still going to be in a fat loss phase, what size of chips? Like is that a massive big box or is that just a little serve? Is that a small chips from Macca's or is that a large chips? Uh, well, it'd just be a burger and chips wherever, probably at a pub feed, I'd say. So maybe yeah. I'd say it's a medium-sized serve. It's not okay. going to be a big bowl. Cool. So if we work out that that's part of your fat loss diet, then we set a budget. So your budget now is I can have one serve of hot chips this week. Yeah. Now you get to play the game, and the game is when do I have it? What day do I have it? Who am I going to have it with? Let's get excited because the most excitement often comes in the lead up to it, not necessarily when we're doing it. So I like to make an event, like set a budget and then make an event of it and don't do it in your house because if you do it in your house, then you're creating habits based around eating crappy food in your house. Yeah. Yeah, I like it because, I mean, I it, what worked for me is I couldn't have hot chips unless I've trained. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Um, so that was a rule, and I suppose it's a rule and a process. So I knew I had to train that day if I was going to go to, you know, go out for lunch or go out for dinner or whatever. Um, yeah. And it is. It's a lot. One, one. It's it's making me exercise, um, but I enjoy it. It's two. I get to enjoy those hot chips because I've earned them more. Uh, mm-hmm. But three, it's just a process that I'm going through. Totally. And I think um, I don't know if you've heard. You know, Mel Robbins. Yeah. I heard that she yeah. So she used to have a thing when she was in uh, in college where she could only take a shower on days that she exercised. Yeah, right. So I think it's like you said there. It's just creating an anchoring habit. So you know, for example, okay, cool. I can have a chalk paddle pop, but I need to have exercised at least eight hours before and eight hours afterwards. And that's something I do with alcohol with people. You know, set your budget. But I have a 12-hour sweat rule. Okay, you have to sweat within 12 hours afterwards. It's a the, the term I like to use with all these things is non-negotiables. It's not you can't do this or you you know I want to do this. It's, this is a non-negotiable. This is just a part of who I am. And if you set those things that balance each other out, so you're training and you're having your burger and chips, you know they're kind of balancing each other out. But still, you're mentally stimulated because at the end of the day. Your brain is the is the number one driver of what happens, so you got to keep that thing functioning properly. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's it becomes so simple uh, if you can break it down into simplicity. You know, it's like I can have this if I do this, and this is a non-negotiable with that, and that's okay, and I'm happy with that. But I think people get into that that downward spiral or that they fall off the bandwagon is when they don't do one thing, it flows into the next thing. Yeah. Uh, that chocolate paddle pop turns into hot chips the next day, turns into a Sunday smoothie, you know, chocolate Sunday, whatever. 
Yeah, mate, I totally agree. And, like, you know, what you said there, I don't even know if you meant to, but you used the if and then. It's kind of like if-then statements. Well, if this happens, then what do I do? Yeah. And I think that's important for planning for when you do spiral because the thing is we're all going to spiral. It's just a matter of how long does it happen for and how quick do I get back up. Like we all get knocked down, but how quick do you get back up? Do you get back up within an hour, a day, a week, a month? For some people, it's 10 years. You know, so it's, it's what are you doing to get back up? Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny. Like it'd be interesting to look at, okay, if, you know, everyone listening here right now says, okay, well, next time I have alcohol, I have to train within 12 hours. You know, how that affects one they're drinking right there and then if they have the three to four beers or the four to five or the one bottle to two bottles knowing they have to get up at you know whatever time and exercise it could be 10 o'clock at night so they know they have to get up by 10 o'clock the next day and train exactly and and the thing is you probably are, are as aware as i am that first session after you drink it's never a good session no like if it doesn't. You might not even have one drink, but you just don't feel great. So I like to say, you know, you're just getting the crap out, you're just sweating it out. It doesn't even have to be like anything crazy, but you're just getting it out. You're resetting. So all of a sudden, after you've sweat, your brain's in a better state. You know, all of a sudden, you're going to make better decisions the next day. All of a sudden, that one decision that you just said there, 12 hours after alcohol, that could be all you have to do with someone to totally change their life. Like you don't need a lot of things. You've just got to work out what works for that individual at that time because, like we said, with different phases, different things are going to change. Yeah. But I want to uh, pivot from, you know, obviously more general to more specific in regards to the glucose experiment. Um, I know you did it for three months. Uh, You put me onto it. I did it for a month. Um, So what we did is we wore a blood glucose um, control measure um so it measures our our blood glucose uh every like every minute of the day for 24 hours um i wore mine for for one month and just looked at the data and and bardo you did yours for three like what did you take out of it or what were you looking for when you're going into it what did you learn and what did you take out of it i was looking for what was individual to me and it's become very apparent to me that um as a whole, we, we have certain trends as populations or we see studies or we see all these things, but they're, they're not really individualized. So I really wanted to find individually what what impacted me, what kinds of foods impacted me in terms of shooting my blood sugar up, um, and then what impacted me both on a positive and a negative scale. And my key takeaways were, yeah, food, definitely. Um, but I was really blown away by the impact of sleep and stress and how quickly they would change my levels of blood sugar. So if I had a poor night's sleep, I'd wake up with higher blood sugar. If I uh, had something, a stressful event happening, my blood sugar would spike straight away. You know, to give you an example, my wife, she did the same thing. Her highest reading in three months was after a stressful phone call. Wow. And she got off the phone, she was stressed, and bang. There was one other one where... I was actually, one of my highest readings was when I was reading um, off a screen before I went to bed. So like reading like a Kindle or an iPad or yeah. something? Yeah, reading a bright screen before I went to bed and I checked my glucose the next day and it spiked before bed and I said to Case, I said, what? Like, I can't work it out, what is it? 
And I read off the Kindle the next day and the same thing happened. And I realized, hey, this bright light is actually giving me a massive stress response. So it, it really painted to me the importance of um, understanding what stress is, the sleep, but then also movement. Like movement is the key to get that sugar back down. And if you eat and you don't move, then you're in trouble. And that kind of goes into your thing about, you know, chips and burgers and exercise and alcohol and exercise that, you know, we need to pull that energy through the system. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like filling up a car with petrol. You know, the only way you empty that tank is to turn the car on and drive it. And I think it's the same with our bodies. You know, we fill it up with petrol all the time with food and drink and whatnot, but the only way to empty it is to actually pull it through the system. So... It can be as simple as going for a walk. Like I did some experiments where going for a 10-minute walk after a meal would bring my blood sugars down a couple of points. Now, if you're a, a type 2 diabetic, that's a life-changing thing for you. You know, like you can you can probably add 5 or 10 years to your life and change your quality of life just for walking after every time you eat. Yeah, it's funny. I, I had the same thing. Like I, I was testing it out when I was doing the month. I was, you know obviously diarizing everything that I ate and drank and, you know, trainings and before and after training and things like that. And and one of the, the interesting ones was I had uh, Guzman and Gomez, the takeaway Mexican, uh, and then I'd come back to work for lunch. I'd train in the morning, come back to work for lunch, and I'd sit down and just be on my laptop. And my blood sugar stayed high for a long period of time. And then I thought, oh, I'll do it next week. I'll try it again. I went over and, and came back and then I walked around the gym. I did a few other things. I went to the post office, walked to the post office, come down and, and shot right back down. Um, so the same food, um, kind of same sort of protocol, but just by simple movements of walking around for 10 or 15 minutes, dramatically reduced my, my blood glucose response. Yeah, it was essentially muscle contraction needs energy. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. It's just low-level muscle contraction. So whether it's higher-level stuff, whether you're actually doing your aerobic stuff, you know that's going to bring it down even more. Or if you're actually just walking around, that's fine. You know, were there any other things that you found? Good yeah, out? the the my, the highest I ever got. Uh, I remember well. There, there was two two key ones where Adrian and I did a session. He was wearing it at the same time, and we did a session. It was literally a a, a balls to the wall session. It was probably like a ninety-five percent max. 100% max effort and yeah. he's really shot up uh, and shot up really really high and my response wasn't uh, as as high to that sort of cardio output in that session um, but how quickly it came back down from that stress response of, of the active exercise we were working at literally the same amount of our max heart rate but the biggest yeah. thing I took away from it and this is I think I even messaged you about it like I had I was at my sister's place and I had just right cereal and I, I never have cereal for breakfast. I had just right cereal, a bowl of that and then I had two pieces of toast with Vegemite um, and my blood sugar went through the roof. Like he got to sevens, he went to eights and I was like, oh my God, this thing's still climbing. I haven't seen it this high. I got to eight on my balls to the wall exercise and then they got to nines uh, and then I think it hit like 9.8 or even tens. This is within... 40 minutes of having what they call is a, a healthy breakfast of cereal and um, and two pieces of toast. And it was crazy. And it stayed up for two and a half hours. You know, I I walked a little bit because I had to go to the bus and, and, it's, and I, was, I was blown away. I was like, this thing's ridiculous. Like that much sugar into the body. And then I messaged you. I said, you know, is this dangerous? I said, 
And I remember you said, yeah, it is dangerous if you're consistently doing it. Yeah, 100%. You can see how, and that's the thing, it's scary for, you know, if you are not exercising, you know, if you do have type 2 diabetes or if you've, you know, got some health complications, you know, sooner or, sooner or later that stuff's going to, that's that's where you get yourself into trouble. We right. just constantly like it too too high for too long over many, many years and then that's where uh, you're in trouble. And that's the thing, like you just think about, you know, young kids, you know, or people who are doing this and they're going straight to an office job or, you know, they're sitting around not active, right? I would say I'm a very active person um, but blown away by the response of that and if you did that week on week, month on month, uh, you can just see why, you know, we have such an overweight society uh, when it's a simple 10-minute walk after doing that would reduce it dramatically. Yeah, and, and look, that walk thing, that's something that um, I do like to recommend for, for people. Just to, It can make a massive difference. Yeah, just simple movement. Yeah, totally. Nice, nice. Mate, what's the, uh, what's the plan of attack for Barton moving forward? Obviously, COVID's keeping you in Brisbane, keeping you in Australia. Mate, I'm in Oz until I can get out of Oz. Yep. No, that sounds pretty bad. Uh, I think our Bali retreats are on the back burner until we can reorganize stuff. Uh, the Obviously, online space is, is a new avenue, so doing some online group training, doing some all-ins with the one-month kind of hits, and then we're just looking at maybe doing some some local stuff within Australia, like some, some three- or four-day kind of retreats around here. But uh, not too much. Just uh, just kind of consolidating and putting putting good content together, and hopefully changing people's lives one step at a time. Sounds a bit lame. It's pretty true. Yeah, it's pretty true. Pretty simple. Because uh, you've got clients all around the world, right? You've got some in overseas. Mate, I do. I've got uh, England. I've got Germany. I've got the US. I've got a few of those different. Uh, one in Africa, actually. A few different time zones that we're working on. So it's. Uh, they're they're all very different, very unique. So it keeps keeps me interested. I think that's a, that's the number one thing I said before is like it, I need to be able to provide a solution for the person, but I like to be stimulated at the same time. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned about it before the call. It's just been all catching up. I mean, I said what I asked you, what's your you know what's your day look like, uh, and you've kind of transformed your day to suit you, uh, and when you perform best. So you said you wake up. You know, you're best between 4 and 6 a.m., so you do your most important task then. Yeah, essentially. Like, I actually haven't, don't even have an alarm then any, at the moment. Uh, one of my things when, when we moved away was that I didn't want to wake up to an alarm. Like, that was kind of one of my non-negotiables. But, yeah, between 4 and 6 a.m. is kind of my prime time of the day, so I've worked out that's when I get my most MITs, my most important tasks done. So whether it be programming or content or whatever it is, that's where I get that stuff done. I like to get my training done early, train some clients, and then, uh, you know, get me later in the day and I'm, I'm no good to anyone. So it's, it's all right just before 12 o'clock now, so you're, you're okay? Right, prime time. Prime time. It, it, it kind of comes back to, you know, if there's a message from that which I'd like to portray is, you know, create your lifestyle based around what works for you. You know, if, if I was training people and doing that stuff in the afternoon and the evenings, just it, it would not work so you know i've worked out that that's my best time so that's where i've got to dedicate that time to and if i don't if i'm not productive in that time then the rest of my day just feels like it's kind of wasted yeah it's a good point 
if you could give advice, and I'm going to ask you on three areas, right? Obviously, physical movement. Uh, another one would be nutrition, and then two, just general health or wellness. What would you suggest people start with, or what would you suggest they recognise, or what sort of, I suppose, procedure or um, system they put in place on one, two, three of those those items, like? How should someone get started? Obviously, a lot of people right now are in maintenance, right? We can only do so much. No gyms are open, etc. But yeah. in, inside or outside of COVID, doesn't matter. Uh, okay, cool. So if we go one physical, move, move every day, whether it be high intensity, low intensity, whatever. Um, I kind of have these things. What do I need to do more of? What do I need to do less of? And you know, for physical workout for you, what do I need to do more of? And what do I need to do less of? You know, I think surround yourself with a community or an environment, whether it be a coach or a, a training group or whatever. And then this is probably going to be a little bit left field, but I think get yourself a heart rate monitor so you can actually see what's what's going on under the hood. Don't just be guessing. Like get get some actual facts and some data. I think you'll probably back that one up. Yeah, I know. We obviously we're, we're big on the my zones because it, it kind of gamifies it. You know, I've had the the Garmin heart rate ones and stuff like that. Uh, but the my zone obviously one value for money and then two uh, what actually reporting you get done out of it you can actually see how many calories you've burnt um, whilst that session's going on so yeah I think it's it's probably the biggest beneficial thing I mean I when I tell people about it you know a my zone is like having a personal trainer that you only pay once for and you have it forever yeah. Mate, hundred percent. I'm uh, I'm really big on the on the my zone and the and the heart rate stats now. So with with all my clients, or majority of my coaching clients, like I'll use that because a it gives me so much more insight into what's happening. But also, as you're pretty aware, you know you can set certain zones for certain sessions. So it gives you permission to not necessarily work as hard. Whereas sometimes I think it's kind of that all or nothing. We feel like we have to go balls to the wall. Where if it's like, hey, I just want you to sit at 140 heart rate then I'm teaching you within that session to not be all or nothing. And some of the toughest sessions that I've done is, you know, obviously doing Ironmans and, and endurance events is the low heart rate things, is controlling the mind to say, okay, well, I'm actually getting so much benefit from keeping my heart rate at 60% of my max or, you know, in the blue or the green, so 60 to 70% not letting it get up and over. I know I want to go a little bit faster. I want to ride a little bit faster. I want to run a little bit faster. I know I can, but I can't because my heart rate says I've got to stay here. And do you find that that teaches you lessons for the rest of life in terms of discipline and actually sticking to the plan? 100%, yeah. So the probably the biggest lessons I get out of is actually committing to do an Ironman. It's probably pretty silly to, to flog your body like that, but it actually gives you so much discipline, structure, uh, in everyday life uh, that I really enjoy and consistency um, by having to do things a little bit differently. You know, there are some tough sessions and long sessions, but there's some, you know, easy sessions that are actually mentally harder and you yeah. learn a lot. I'm very similar where, you know, it's something I've incorporated a lot more over the recent times is just doing that lower intensity stuff and being comfortable with it, giving myself permission to. But it's amazing the impact it has on your body and your mind because you don't feel wrecked afterwards. Yeah. Like you want to get off that out of that session and say, "Hey, man, I could do that again." Yeah. Like it's just regeneration. 
So I guess that's part of the move every day. I think your second part was nutrition. Um, just eat more veggies, people. <laughs> like it's uh, it's going to sound really simple. To me, there's there's uh, there's three main things: there's veggies, protein, and water. If you're not hitting those three things, then the rest doesn't really matter. Yeah, In nice terms, if I sim- if I sorry if I simplify that even more, it would be you know what what are your three favorite veggies? Pick them and then just start eating them. Sorry, you were going to say that. I was going to say we we're talking earlier, and you said something about um, knowing what to eat or knowing. Um, if you don't have it, you can't obviously eat it by going to the supermarket or we're talking about convenience too, right? It's yeah. just getting stuff that you want to eat and you know you're going to have it. If it's going to be, you know, like bangers and mash tonight or chicken stir fry, uh, you know, go and get those three veggies, get that one source of meat and, and pick your carbohydrates and that's it. Yeah, so I think it, like we're talking buffer and trigger foods. I hope this isn't going sideways a bit, but, you know, it's not necessarily a good or a bad food. It's like, is it a buffer or a trigger? So, for example, you know, for you, hot chips is probably going to be a trigger food by the sounds of it because you just want to eat more, yeah? Yeah. So that's a trigger food. It's like it's going to make me eat more of that food or more calories in general. A buffer food is something that, hey, it probably makes me eat less overall calories or less of throughout the day. But generally, those buffer foods, you know, that's our veggies, that's our – High fiber stuff. There's high high water in it. Now, if your house is full of trigger foods, what are you going to do? You're going to eat them. <laughs> you know, if you can see it, if you can smell it, or if you can reach it, you're going to eat it sooner or later. And if you don't eat it, someone you love is going to eat it. Yeah. So the other the, the other flip side is that you know if the if you can see, eat, and reach your buffer foods, which might be your veggies, it might be an apple, it might be you know a glass of water, then you're going to eat that too. Essentially, if it's there, you're going to eat it. So make sure it's accessible. And I think there's a lot to take out of, obviously, you think about uh, like HelloFresh and things like that. You know, it's a perfect example. One, they're giving you everything that you need to just cook that that simple meal. Two, you're getting an education on learning a new meal um, and how to cook it. So you're getting that knowledge too. And then three, you're only eating whatever's in front of you. Uh, Totally. 100%. 100%. Like it's it's just making it – we're taking the choice out. Like I think less choice is often better. I know for me, you give me too many choices, I'm going to make a bad decision. You, you give me less choices and, and I think that's one thing from this current situation with people not going out so much. You know, I know I'm not eating out anywhere as much so there's less choices out but I also don't bring that stuff into my house, whereas I think a lot of other people do bring it into your house. And if you bring it into your house, then you're kind of flirting with danger. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've only, I've eaten out twice in the last, you know, month and a half, or 37 days, whatever, 38 days. So, you know, it was only last Friday I went and got my first burrito from my favorite Mexican place. And I do like, I mean, you know, a normal week, I'd probably be out, you know, three to four times a week having, you know, social dinners out or, you know, eating out. Yeah. Um, but now I've just been, I love, I one, love cooking, but I've just been enjoying being at home, simplifying um, and having the simple things. How, how good is it? I'm, oh, uh, it's amazing. I'm, you don't need a lot of ingredients. We're, uh, my wife and I are doing, I'm actually doing a challenge today. It's a 10 ingredient challenge. So you can only eat foods that have, you pick your 10 ingredients at the start of the day. 
and then that's all you can eat throughout the day. So we've done that a little bit recently. We're incorporating that with some of our clients today. Um, and I find it's really good to get people just to keep it simple. You actually surprise how many different ingredients you use. Um, and if you eat packaged food, essentially you can't eat packaged food on the 10 ingredients day because it's going to blow your budget. Yeah. So, for example, you've got 10 ingredients today. What do you have for breakfast? Uh, well, I'm actually doubling it up so that I'm doing a, a meat-free day as well. So I had uh, tofu with zucchini, cucumber, couscous, and avocado. Nice. And what's going to be for lunch? Same thing? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Simplicity wins, but right? Simplicity, yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, just pick. And the thing is, you get to pick. That's what I like. It's like, hey, these are the things, these are the things that I like. Then I just keep it simple. Yeah, nice, nice. And mate, um, the wellness, just wellness side, um, one tip, structure, procedure, routine. Can I can I pose a question to you? What's your definition of wellness? Um, I think wellness sits outside of exercise and nutrition because it's something more probably for your mind and your head and your head space. Um, so like for me, I, I think wellness, for me, if I go down for a, a swim in the ocean, um, you know, it kind of clears the head, it feels good. You know, it could be a meditation or a breathing thing. It could be a Wim Hof thing. Um, yeah. Something that I need to do outside of just purely eating well and and having um, some sort of exercise, which I, I like to do both. Um, but I think wellness sits outside of that bracket and I, I think we don't really do enough of wellness i think uh like there's a few things that come to my mind and i see this to be very individualized like i listen to pearl jam it's gonna sound weird but it's uh they're one of my favorite bands when i was growing up so i have a thing is i need to listen to a pearl jam song every day and it just keeps me happy now find something like that that really lights your fire and and do it regularly yeah, as a whole, I think, you know, we go back to that term journaling, but writing stuff down, we, we journal and then we also have a thing called a brain dump. So I'd probably say a brain dump. Get a blank bit of paper, get a pen, get a timer for a couple of minutes and just take stuff out of your head and put it on paper. It doesn't have to make sense. You might draw. You don't have to show anyone. There's no judgment or anything, but just get it out of your head because I think our head gets too full and we lose the opportunity to be creative or to make good decisions because we're just full of garbage. So take that garbage out and, and put it on paper. Yeah, nice. I like it because it, it is. I mean, people underestimate the, the effects of just listening to music, you know, because it is a form of meditation for some. Uh, it's, a, it's a form of probably inner peace. It's obviously doing something you enjoy. Um, you know, that wellness is like a happiness piece, I reckon, or it's something for yourself piece. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think mental health is a, is a big thing, especially at the moment with social isolation. So, you know, if you're an introvert, then be happy with with less interaction. And if you're an extrovert, well, go and find some more interaction. Like I think it just comes back to the what works for you individually and do more of it and what doesn't work for you individually and do less of it. And if you can, if you can just answer those two questions in regard to every topic, I think you're going to go a long way. Love it, mate. Love it. 
All right, mate, we might wrap it up there. Um, if people want to find more about you, your little bullets, what you learn each week, your retreats, training with you, uh, everything above and beyond. Yeah. Where do they find you? Barton McGuckin on Facebook. Barton.McGuckin, I think, on Instagram. And McGuckinFitness.com.au. Easy. Sweet ass. Yeah. Bardo, thanks for joining us, mate. Good to see you in the country, but bad luck you're in the country too. Peru Vita, brother. It's thanks, been a pleasure. Mate. Thanks, Take buddy. Care.